Hello, this is Jen Lawler, and here are this week's announcements. We are excited to share that our ministry partner, Urban Impact Foundation, will be putting on a full-scale production of Godspell on the weekends of August 3rd through the 6th and 10th through the 13th at Christ Church at Grove Farm. This Broadway musical highlights the diverse talents of the UIF students while creatively telling the Gospel of Matthew from the New Testament. Tickets are available now. Go to uifpgh.org or visit the UIF table in the lobby after service today. Ladies, before summer ends, why not escape from your routine and spend some time lingering in God's presence and deepening your faith? The Women's Ministry is hosting a women's retreat August 25th through 27th at the Ligonier Camp and Conference Center. Join other women from ACAC for a time of worship, prayer, and instruction, along with lots of outdoor fun. Register before the end of July and save $20. Go to acac.net slash events. The ACAC Children's Ministry is organizing a short-term missions team to lead a day camp ministering to the children of medical missionaries traveling to Greece for ongoing education. The trip is happening April 19th through May 4th, 2024. Team members must have current child clearances and a valid passport. Interested? Go to acac.net slash events for details. And don't forget that we have a prayer room here at ACAC. If you came in with a burden today, don't carry it home. One of our trained prayer team members would love to talk and pray with you. Our prayer room is open during and after service, and if you aren't sure where to go, just ask an usher. For those watching online, all you need to do is click the prayer request button, and a host will pray with you. That's it for now. Thanks for being here, and welcome to ACAC. Well, good morning, ACAC Church family. My name is Blaine Workman. I'm a member of our pastoral staff here, and I'd like to join you in opening our service by offering a word of prayer for one of our missionaries. In this case, uh, Ed and Tammy Glover, who work with Urban Impact. Now, normally when we refer to missionaries here, we're talking about people who are going someplace else to some foreign culture and uh, speaking, uh, learning a new language. And in the case of Urban Impact, they ask their staff members to come into our community, onto the north side, and live in this urban community to serve children and families. So we're going to remember Ed and Tammy today as Summer Day Camp, Urban Impact Summer Day Camp is closing here at ACAC, and they're getting ready to, to do their um, summer program, Godspell, here this upcoming weekend. You can visit the table out there, as the announcement said. Let's remember them in prayer this morning as we begin, shall we? Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather for this service. And as we do so, Lord, we want to remember... Ed and Tammy Glover before your throne of grace and the ministry they lead Urban Impact. God, we, we thank you for their ministry in this community over many decades. And Lord, uh, today is, 
as we think about all the summer programming that's, that's wrapping up, we just pray that you would pour out grace on all of that. Lord, the, the conclusion of summer day camp and the connection with those families. Lord, the, the, the presentation that's to happen this weekend. Lord, would you just pour out your grace and blessing on all of it? And then as they prepare for the fall programming ahead, so much of which will take place in, in our own facilities. God, we, we just pray for a fresh empowering for uh, Ed and Tammy and all the, the folks who work at Urban Impact, a, a fresh anointing and empowering to do the work that you've given them to do. And we pray that many would come to know Jesus. Many children and parents, people in this community would come to know Jesus and come to follow him through the work of that ministry. We pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. All God's people say it. Amen. Pastor Christian, come lead us in worship. Good morning, church family. Why don't we all rise to our feet? If you're joining us online, we invite you to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Our God is worthy to be celebrated. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together this morning.
thinking about our time together this weekend, and I'll start personally because I don't want to assume something of you, but I thought about how at times, while as celebrated as that is, it can feel, depending on what we're going through, what we're experiencing in life, like, okay, that's great, but like, let me move on to the next thing, which is this challenge, this circumstance, this thing that I'm facing. But how many of you know there is no next thing? It's the only thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is our hope. Everything rests upon that. He is the first and the last, alpha and omega, beginning and the end. There's nothing before, there's nothing after. I know I'm leading worship. I'm not supposed to preach. That's Pastor Ross's job today. But I will say, that news never gets old, and may it never get old for us, brothers and sisters, especially in those trying times. And I believe that the Apostle John, when he writes his first letter, he echoes the sentiment of God's love for us and the assurance that we have to those who he addresses. And in chapter 5, he writes, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Finally, verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So why is he saying this? Why is he writing this? Because in life, even for the people of faith, and I would even say especially so, because we have opposition from the kingdom of darkness. We experience tests. We experience trials. We experience storms. But let our hope be anchored in the fact that God so lavishly poured his love and generously gave his son that we would have everlasting life. This is the confidence that we have when we're facing trials. This is the confidence that we have when we're faced with that impossible 
thing. In short, I believe John is saying that the God who saved you is more than able to deliver you from that present circumstance. And today we're going to sing a song that I know has been an encouragement to many. And we felt, man, let's encourage our own hearts this weekend by singing that he's more than able. So I want to encourage you in this moment. I know it can be very tempting to focus on what's happening on the stage, but don't do that. Close your eyes and focus on what God wants to do uniquely in your heart this morning as we celebrate the fact that he is the God who is more than able. Bless you, Jesus. start to forget all of the great things you did when did I throw away faith for the impossible how did I start to believe you weren't sufficient for me why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? You are more than able. You are more.
and grace much more than I deserve cause I know who I am and I can't stay where I'm at we've come this far by faith and I just can't turn back He's not done with me yet. He's not done with me yet. There's so much more to the story. And you're not done with me yet. You're not done with me yet. You're not done with me. Story. 
to deny what the Lord can do. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I
Father, we honor you today as the God of our salvation, as the one who has made provision for our eternal security. God, anchor our hearts when our temporal security is threatened, that we would know that you are the God who is able. This is our confidence today. Lord, receive the glory that you truly deserve from this gathering. And God, even more so, be glorified through our lives as we leave this place empowered and full of faith today. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together for him again? You may be seated. How many of you, like me, are glad he's not done with you yet? And who am I to deny what the Lord can do, right? Well, church, you may know this, but um, over 230 times the Bible mentions the word faith. Over 230 verses. It's obviously such an important part of our life with him. For without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? But did you know that... The Bible talks about our resources and finances, mentions it in over 2,300 verses, literally 10 times as many. And so it's obvious that the stewardship of those resources is of great interest to the Lord as well and of great importance to us. Now we come to a time when we worship the Lord through our giving. I'm going to ask our ushers if they would prepare to receive God, get the gifts from God's people. But as we do, I just want to ask us to allow this time to be a time of worship. Every bit as much as this time that we've had worshiping the Lord with our voices. Let's allow this time of giving to be a time of worship to him. Whether you're giving here in this sanctuary or giving throughout the week, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful time we've had to lift our voices to you, to worship you with our lips. Now, Lord, let us worship you with our wallets in the way that we give. Help us to give, Lord, with pure hearts to give unto you and to trust you to use these gifts and multiply them in powerful and precious ways to build your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are a variety of ways you can give. I mentioned some earlier. The ushers will be passing baskets, and you can use those. There are actually boxes in the back if you'd like to deposit your gift there or electronic means of giving via the website or app. And so you use those as, as, you, uh, as you wish. Um, one other thing before I turn the microphone over to Pastor Trey. Uh, there has been, there have been a number of questions. People have been asking, is the hub open or isn't the hub open? And I just want to clarify that by saying the answer to both questions is yes. 
So in this interim season, we only have legal permission to use the lower levels of the hub for these next couple of weeks. And so in this temporary season, the hub is both open and it's not open. Let me talk about what we're able to do there. The whole first floor, the lobby floor is open to us and all the doors will be opened uh, to that level as you come in. So, so you can move through the hub or use it to get from the parking lots or Union Avenue and, and into other spaces. So know that you can travel freely there or sit down there and just enjoy the space. The, the new bathrooms are open in there so so you have access to those the reception desk is open there's somebody there to to uh, answer your questions and also out on the Union Avenue side the the, the uh, drop-off lanes that encircle the fountain maybe we'll call that the fountain gate one of these days those drop-off lanes are available to us now and so seniors families handicapped if you want to use those uh, uh, to drop off people, fine. And then move on to the parking spaces, and parking will remain just as it's been for the last two years during the construction season in this interim period, okay? So most of us will use the parking garage. Handicapped is out on, in the front and on the side here on Union Avenue. Visitor parking behind our, our uh, Union Place office building. All of that remains the same. What will we not be doing? Ministry activities and, class, and holding classes. No ministry activities in the hub during this interim season. The, uh, um, uh, the elevators won't be working because we're only using the first floor. And we're not going to open the children's play area just yet. All of that's coming soon. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll keep you abreast of that. But now you know what you can and can't do in there in, the, in, the, in this season. And Pastor Trey, you have some other announcements for us. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Aren't you glad that he's more than able? Aren't you glad that he's more than able? That worship messed me up for a second. I tell you, if you came in anxious, maybe even depressed a little bit heavy, by the time they got to worship, I'm leaving the day knowing he's more than able. He's more than able. He's more than able. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I want to welcome you today to ACAC, where the Spirit of the Lord has his way. Isn't that good news? And some of you might be visiting with us for the very first time. Whether you are here in person or whether you're online, we want to connect with you. And so if you're online, we have a few digital options there on the screen in front. And if you're here in person, right in the seat in front of you, you'll find a hello card. Uh, if you take it out, fill it out for us, and return it to the guest service station, we will greet you with a very special gift. Now, we just have about two announcements we want to make you really aware of that are happening this August. And one of them is coming up this Thursday, August 3rd at 7 p.m. in Robinson Chapel. We will be having corporate prayer. And we would love for you to join us. The information is there. And we'd love to see your face in the place. Now, to gear your excitement, this time of the year, we are getting an anticipation of baptism season. Come on, put your hands together for that. Hallelujah. As we are expanding and growing in God's kingdom, we are also baptizing. And so this year, our baptism will happen uh, annually at Turnbull Lake, uh, August 20th at 6 p.m. 
And if you would like to sign up for baptism, you'll find the information fourth grade or older. You can register to be baptized at acac.net backslash events. Again, that's acac.net backslash events. Please register there. Now, for those of you that may have already been baptized, we still want you to participate with the family at Turnbull Lake. And so we encourage you to come out on August 20th, 6 p.m. at Turnbull Lake to see what God is doing there. All right? All right. Now, we are still in the Summer on the Mount series. And this week, we have a very special guest, our very own <laughs> executive pastor, Ross Owens. He'll be continuing the Summer on the Mount series, a Kingdom Manifesto. And so I want you to sit at the edge of your seats in expectation of what the Lord has for us today. Turn your attention towards the screen, and the next voice you will hear will be Pastor Ross Owens. God bless. Good morning, church family. I am Ross Owens, an executive pastor here at ACAC. And if there's ever any ambiguity of who I am, just look for the fat black bald head guy on staff. <laughs> I now think I am the only totally bald guy working at ACAC. And, and real quick, last night uh, as I preached, I had on this all-white shirt. And obviously with the lights, it makes the shirt really, 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 really bright. So I'm standing up here with my black shiny bald head with this white, bright white shirt on. And Pastor uh, Christian said, it looks like I was heading for the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> Please pray for our staff. <laughs> but I am excited to continue week seven of our series, Summer on the Mount, a Kingdom Manifesto. Now, as a reminder... The Sermon on the Mount begins in chapter 5, and basically what Jesus is telling his listeners is this. He says, you have perverted the law of God and raised a standard that satisfies your flesh, your feelings, and emotions, and they do not satisfy God. In your efforts to live a righteous life, you have missed the mark. And so... I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets nor set aside one thing of God's law, but I've come to reestablish that which has always been established in the heart of God, which is to live a life dedicated to pleasing God that's free from hypocrisy and full of grace, love, wisdom, and discernment. Jesus goes on to communicate to them that when you do it God's way, will yield harmony between us and God and us and our community. So in chapter 5, Jesus tells them that they've missed the mark on topics such as anger, divorce, guarding their heart against evil intent, swearing, lying, and even love. Now last week, P Pastor Elizabeth wrapped up chapter 5, highlighting Jesus' command 
to love our enemies. And she provided three steps on how we can do that by stating that we could pray for them, forgive them, and be reconciled with them. But then chapter 5 ends with Jesus' instructions to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And both she and Pastor Allen explained that that word perfect comes from the Greek word teleos, which means whole, being complete, and being being spiritually mature. And they noted that Jesus is calling his disciples and calling us to not wimp out or act like adolescents, but to be spiritually mature. So as we dive into chapter 6, it's important to mention that the beginning of a new chapter can almost suggest that there's a break in thought or topic. But no, that is not the case here in chapter 6. See, the beginning of the chapter is really a seamless continuation of the end of chapter 5 where Jesus commands his disciples to be spiritually mature. And he tells them that part of their immaturity is that they've missed the mark on three religious acts, which are given to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Now, for today's study, we're going to focus on the first, which is given to the needy. And Scripture says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees all that is done in secret, will reward you. So church family, for today's study, we're going to focus on two things. The first is Jesus' instructions on the do's and the don'ts of giving and something that's very important that matters to God whenever we perform religious acts. Let's pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this opportunity to be blessed with another day. God, we thank you for this opportunity to freely worship you with our voice and worship you with our giving. Lord, we thank you that you have prepared our hearts to receive your word. And God, I thank you for the privilege to deliver your word. So Heavenly Father, I ask that you give me the wisdom and the power to minister in simplicity and in truth. And I pray that everyone who hears, whether they're here in person or watching us online, will follow your commandments and live out your truths. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look back at verse number one where it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now see, this first verse It serves as an introductory to the next 18 verses, and it establishes the theme of losing your reward from your heavenly Father by doing acts of righteousness for the wrong reasons. And Jesus was not communicating that righteous acts 
was not uh, condemning righteous acts themselves, but his concern was the motivation behind the action, which sometime can be for me getting all the attention. And it's also important to note that Jesus is not saying that we as a body of believers should keep our Christianity secret because he knew that a disciple's life is inevitably and rightly public. See, in the previous chapter, Jesus said this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you have no reward from your heavenly Father. But in the previous chapter, he says this. But in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as believers, we're to openly serve others, openly profess Jesus, and openly love, pray, and worship. That's what it means to let your light shine before others. However, we're to do these things in a way that it glorifies our Father in heaven. When we do, our righteous acts actually reveal the presence in the heart of God, and the intention rightly shifts from what I can do to what God has done. So Jesus instructs his disciples to be spiritually mature. Then he continues with the warning to beware to grow in maturity with the right attitude. Now, this is what verse number two says. He says, so when you give to the needy, notice, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so they can be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Now notice again, Jesus said when you give, not if you give. Because see, in Judaism, the righteous act of giving was something that was not an option. Therefore, it's when you give because there's an expectation that one who is a disciple of Jesus Christ with the heart of God dwelling inside of them is actually going to care for the vulnerable and the marginalized. And see, Scripture tells us that God is great in mercy, and over and over we see examples of God pouring out his spirit to the poor, the marginalized, the widows, the orphan, and the immigrant. And since God is great in mercy, we who have the Holy Spirit should be merciful to others. So when Jesus said, when you give and not if you give, it was no surprise to them because it was a long-standing expectation of their spiritual maturity. So at the same time that Jesus was level-setting the expectations that they are to give, he follows it up by telling them, how not to give. And this is what he says. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who give to the needy in order to be seen by others and bring attention to themselves. Why? It's because giving which pleases God is really nobody's business. It's a private transaction known to God and is a secret between him and the giver. And at the moment you're giving is all about you is the moment that you give in vain. See, church family, the truth of the matter is this. If you perform religious acts to call attention to yourself instead of God, you are no longer worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. And that, my friend, 
is idolatry. And when your giving is more about you than it is about God, you cease to see the individual who you're given to with both dignity and respect. And you end up treating others like projects rather than the precious image barriers of God. We end up perpetrating an us versus them mentality that is rooted in a posture of superiority. And we end up ignoring our own brokenness by magnifying the brokenness of others, making us think that we are better than them, so I need to do something for them. Our giving should only be done to glorify God and not pacify our egos to feel more superior than others. So after telling them how not to give, Jesus then proceeds to tell them, how to give by saying this, but when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And when you do that, your heavenly father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, at first blush, this comment of do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It actually seems strange until you understand the point that Jesus is making. And what he's saying is our giving should be done in such a way that number one is done in secrecy. And number two is done in a way that to us it seems spontaneous, but to the Holy Spirit it's ordained. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a large aspect of our giving that should be done methodically and recurring. But Jesus is saying that there's also an aspect of giving to the poor that is so Holy Spirit driven that when it's done, that the other hand does not know, the right hand does not know that the left hand has done it. Because when one hand knows that what the other hand is doing, it wants to get involved. And it's in those moments that the applaud goes to us and not to our Heavenly Father. See, Jesus uses this language because given to the needy should be done in a Christ-like manner that is solely based on obedience, compassion, and mercy, and not an assessment of one situation, and not so that I could be seen as the next person's hero. So again... What we see in these four verses at the beginning of chapter 6 is Jesus is highlighting the do's and don'ts of giving. But again, it's very important that we don't miss the thing that he's communicating to them and to us when we perform religious acts, which is our motives matter and they matter to God. See, the bottom line is this. We're all motivated by many things to support our families, to make our loved ones proud, and to accomplish challenging goals. And around 15 years ago, I was motivated to lose weight, but man, I tell you now, I love a good piece of fried chicken. <laughs> and see, in our pursuit to do noble things, our motivation can seem justified. However, Scripture reminds us that we all possess the capacity to do the right things for the wrong reasons. The Bible says this. It says all a person's ways, not some of our ways, but all a person's ways seems pure to them, but our motives are weighted, or the correct word is the, our motives are evaluated by the Lord. Now, when I first read this, I was like, whoa, God, hold on. 
this is pretty heavy stuff. So what I did was I looked at another translation to lighten the blow, but it didn't lighten the blow. Actually, another translation says this. People think whatever they do is right, but the Lord judges the reason for doing it. I was like, whoa, hold on, that got worse. So I went back to another translation to see if I could lighten the load a little bit more, but it got progressively worse. And another version says this, we may think we know what is right, but the Lord is the judge of our motives. Basically, what the writer is saying is we all possess that capacity to think that what we're doing is the right thing to do at the right time. But there's something that is evil inside of each of our hearts that God has to dissect. God has to reveal to us to let us know that what we think is doing, what we think we're doing is right. However, your heart is in the wrong place. See, the writer is suggesting that only can we inadvertently deceive others, but we can also deceive ourselves. Therefore, God must do forensics on our heart to expose the true motive of our actions to see if we're driven by pride, anger, revenge, or desire to be seen or in charge. And because he so desperately wants us to be perfect, as he is perfect, he desperately wants to, to share the results with us. Church family, all we have to do is slow down. Remind ourselves of our dependency upon the Holy Spirit and patiently wait for God's prompting and response. See, our motivation to pursue righteousness cannot be driven by our flesh, but solely from a desire to please God. God. Otherwise, we subject ourselves to doing spiritual things for fleshly reasons. And let me tell you this. The moment we do good and righteous things for the wrong reasons, they cease to be good or righteous. See, as Christians, as a body of believers, our motivation to pursue righteousness should solely be driven by our love for God and our love for others. And it's really that single motivation which separates Christianity from every other world religion. See, Mormons are motivated by the need to make amends for past sins through merits. Muslims are motivated by the fear of punishment for failing to meet five Muslim tenets. Buddhists are motivated by the need to create positive karma for the afterlife. And Scientologists are motivated, motivated by the need for self-discovery by auditing past life and, and using science to determine what God is doing. But as followers of Jesus Christ, our motivation is driven by the love that God showed when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you and I. I am motivated to serve God because he was motivated to save me from my sins. Our motivation for righteousness is because God pursued us. Jesus died for our sins, and he gave us access to eternal life. See, we pursue righteousness because God pursued us. Amen. Now, I got to take a break right here. Because in full transparency, when I found out that Pastor Elizabeth was teaching on the topic to love your enemies, I was like, "Woo! I'm glad she got that scripture. I was like, thank you, Jesus. 
Because anytime we dive into God's word on a topic like that, the reality is our study begins to peel back the layers of our life and it challenges us to do what only God can help us do. Like she said last week, loving our enemies is countercultural. We are not designed to love our enemies. It's God who has to come inside of us and do the work through us. But I tell you this, as I began to study this topic, I realized that God is asking, when God is asking to weigh and evaluate our motives, we are also peeling back, or he is also peeling back the layers of our lives, and he reveals areas, areas where we've done the right things for the wrong motives. And while the results are not pleasant when he shares that with you, they do serve as an opportunity to repent of our past so that God can begin to mold and shape our future. Now listen, if you want to mature in your walk with God, give the Holy Spirit unrestricted access to your heart, your emotions, and your feelings, and allow him to reveal the pride, the pain, the insecurities that have become so ingrained in our soul that they're no longer recognizable. Because these are the things that drive our motives, and this requires us to pray, to listen, to meditate, and to fast. Let me tell you this. The bottom line is, we cannot realize our motives. God has to reveal them. There is no five-step survey that I could take. There's no class that I could take to see if my motives are correct. The only way that we can see if the conditions of our heart are pure before God is for us to posture ourselves on our knees and to give our ears to God, to pray. We got to meditate on his word. And then what we have to do is fast so we can draw closer to the Holy Spirit. Our motives cannot be realized by us. They have to be revealed by God. And let me quickly add this. While we can do the right thing with the wrong motive, we can also withhold from doing the right thing with the wrong motive. For example, see, I realized that maybe God is calling me to serve, but I'm so driven by my desire to work to be promoted, to, be, to make more money, that I don't do it. And instead of serving, I go back to work and work 15, 20 hours a day, ignore my family so that I could be seen as an individual who is so dedicated that I deserve a promotion. Church family, when God began to peel back the layers of my life, I realized I was guilty. Some may be saying, God is calling me to pray with others, but, and I know that Jesus washed away my sins. However, I'm driven by my insecurities so much that I don't think I'm worthy to pray with somebody else. So I don't do it. Church family, I'm also guilty of that. Some may be saying, God is calling me to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to unreached places, but I'm driven by the temporary comforts and the full security of a Western society, so I don't do it. 
And some may be saying as I read over and over again in God's word that he's calling believers to stand for biblical justice and to fight for the poor, the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. But I'm so motivated by political ideology and not biblical truth that I don't do it. Instead, I turn a blind eye to the inequalities of our society for the sole sake of political expediency. Church family, we cannot withhold from doing the right things because of the wrong motive. There's some things that God is calling you to do, but you're allowing your motives, your insecurity, your pain, your suffering, your past to stop you from fulfilling the work that God wants you to do. See, ever since the pandemic, what we've seen here at ACAC is that the number of people who are actually serving has gone down significantly. And it's to the point that in our children's ministry, we're grappling with the fact that when families come and bring their children, we may have to turn them away because we no longer have enough volunteers to serve in the classrooms. And it becomes a safety issue for our students and for our leaders. There's no way that we should have so many people in our congregation, but our ratios in children's ministry can be one leader to 25 to 30 kids. I strongly believe that as a society, we have withdrawn the calling to serve because of the wrong motives. And it saddens me that we as a staff have to, have to grapple with that. Not only in our student ministries, but our young adult ministries, our kids' ministries, uh, hospitality, the kitchen ministries, operations, you name it. Serving has gone significantly down, and it saddens me because I know in my soul that God is calling his people to serve, but they withdraw because they are motivated by the wrong reasons. Church family, our motives matter. And they matter to God. All right, that commercial is now over. <laughs> Let's get back to our text. See, whenever we read in Scripture and we see a word that is being repeated, it often reveals a certain theme or a certain uh, topic that is worth us paying attention to. And in today's scripture, the word reward is mentioned in three of the four verses, and it's mentioned nine times in the Sermon on the Mount. So why is this important to note? It's because Jesus is comparing man's reward and the reward given by God based off of our motives. And in summary, if your motivation is to be seen, approved, and validated by man, then consider man's, reward, man's approval your reward. But no, that reward restrains your spiritual maturity because its motivation is often grounded in praise, pleasure, and power. And since its motivation is self-seeking, it yields temporary satisfaction. But thank God for Jesus because he's encouraging and commanding us to seek the reward that comes from our Heavenly Father because when our motive is simply to please God, it yields everlasting satisfaction. So what's the bottom line to that? It's this. In man's kingdom, right actions reap temporary rewards. But in God's kingdom, 
right motives reap eternal rewards. See, man's reward is temporary, and all it does is really puff up our ego, but eventually it leaves us feeling empty. But God's reward is eternal and will leave us satisfied forever and ever. So with all that said, then the question then becomes, okay, Pastor Ross, what is God's reward? Well, I'm glad you asked. God's reward is this. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> Look, the bottom line is Scripture does give us a glimpse every now and then of the rewards in heaven. But the reality is we just don't know. That's why we cannot forget the Scripture that says this. Eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Church family, I have no idea what's going to happen in heaven, but I tell you what, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I don't miss it. I'm going to let the Lord dissect my heart. I don't want to miss heaven. Now, I'll tell you this. I truly believe that in heaven there's going to be a Chick-fil-A and a KFC. There is no doubt in my mind that there will be free Chick-fil-A in heaven. But I tell you this, I can't promise it. Look, when I look at the things that I'm looking forward to on a daily basis, they don't compare to what God has for us in heaven. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there's every now and then I'll just want to sit back and binge Netflix. But I tell you this, when I get to heaven, I'm going to binge watch God all the day long. I will be worshiping my Savior. I will be sitting at his throne and I will sing holy, holy, holy on a regular basis because our God is so good. So remember, your motives matter, and they matter to God. So ask God to reveal the issues of your heart to make sure your motives are not self-serving, but are aligned with his will and are done for his glory. See, as I was studying this, I read this quote from an unknown author, and it says, we would often be ashamed of our best actions if the world only knew the motives behind them. Well, when our motivation is to please God and we conduct our acts of righteousness in secret and we're led by the Holy Spirit, church family will never be ashamed. We'll have nothing to be ashamed of, but we'll take comfort in knowing that God sees us and an eternal reward awaits us. So as I close, I want you to remember that our motives, they matter. And they matter to God. And we cannot realize our motives. There's nothing that we can do to determine why we do the things that we do. It's God who has to reveal them, which means we have to pray, we have to listen, we have to meditate, and we have to fast. And while we're doing that, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do forensics on our heart our emotions, and our feelings. And let me encourage you to do this. Why God is doing that work inside of you 
ask him to reveal the answers to these three questions. Lord, if others criticize my actions, will I stop? If I cease to do what God is telling me to do, I may be driven by the wrong motives. Lord, what if I, would I joyfully take a lesser position if God asked me to? If I'm so driven by a title or by a role that I will step away because God has given me a lesser position, then my motivations aren't pure. And God, if I have to suffer to continue what God has called me to do, would I continue to do it? If not, you may be so enamored with the faux security of our Western society that you're limiting yourself from doing what God is calling you to do. So after you ask God to search your heart and reveal the answer to those questions, repent of any sins that you have done. Ask God to forgive you for driving down the street, seeing that homeless person or seeing somebody on the street, God is leading you to pray for them, but you withhold because you're struggling with your own insecurities. God may be calling you to help somebody who's struggling with pornography, with lust, but you're so enamored and so ashamed at what you have done in the past that you feel you don't have the capability to help them with their issues. Well, the reality is this. You don't have the ability to help them with their issues, but God does. And he wants to work in you. And he wants to work through you. So as he begins to pull back the veil of our heart and expose the issues of our heart, allow that to drop to, to your knees and worship our Lord and Savior. He wants to tell you the issues of your heart because he wants to use you for his glory and his glory only. So church family, don't forget. There is nothing we can do to realize what our motives are. It takes us going deeper with the Holy Spirit so that God can reveal them. And as he reveals it, begin to walk boldly in his calling. Begin to go and do what he is calling you to do. Don't withhold from your service, whether it's here at this church, at another church, whether it's somewhere across the pond. Do what God is calling you to do. Because when we do it, we will reveal his heart. We will show the world that not only does he exist, but he can love us more than anyone else can. And as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will make for a better community and a better world. Church family, please stand for the benediction. So as you go about your week, remember, our motives matter, and they matter to God. So give the Holy Spirit access to your heart, your insecurities, your emotions, so that he can reveal the conditions of your heart. He'll forgive you for your past, while at the same time molding and shaping you for a better future. Church family, have an awesome week serving the King.